Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Jesus is enough. I don't care if you're going through the worst, most difficult thing in life right now, and I've got uh, a high school friend in the hospital uh, battling for his life. Uh, right now, uh, and yet in the middle of all of this, their family knows that Jesus is enough and that and God is still in control, and I can, I can promise you this, that Debbie and I just went through uh, uh, some, some rough times, and I can tell you that he's in the middle of them. He's right there in the middle of the night. He was there at two in the morning. He was there day after day, night after night. He was in the hospital room. And he is enough. You can trust him. He's supreme in every way to everything. And the disciple here, Paul, wanted to reiterate that to the church as the false teachers began to work their way into this new little church, this young church, and the Colossians there. The false teachers would come in and, and they would declare that, yes, Jesus, he's absolutely a great teacher. They acknowledge that like so many religions do today. Yeah, he was a great teacher, but let's uh, not go too far with this. And they declared that more had to be done. And they have a list, and I don't want to get into it today because we'll get into it in the near future. But they were teaching that, you know, you've got to do more than just accept Jesus as your Savior. It's not that easy. So they were trying to hold on to onto their Jewish uh, Old Testament law roots and, bring, and try to unite them together so that there were things you had to do in order to become saved. Of course, Paul was adamant about that and spoke against these wolves that were coming into the church to divide it. An organization in Montana once offered a bounty of $5,000 for every wolf captured alive. Two hunters named Sam and Jed decided to head for the hills and make some money, trapping some wolves. Day and night, they scoured the mountains and the forests, searching for their valuable prey, Exhausted after three days of hunting, though, without any success, they both fell asleep in camp, and boy, did they sleep hard. During the night, though, Sam suddenly woke up to find that he and Jed were surrounded by a pack of 50 wolves with flaming red eyes and sharp teeth, snarling at the two hunters and preparing to pounce. Sam nudged Jed and said, Hey, wake up, buddy. We're about to make some money. <laughs> I'm not sure Sam fully grasped their situation yet, but I'm sure he did shortly. Wolves will come at the most inopportune times in our lives. Wolves are by nature nocturnal. They hunt when it's dark because they're extremely stealthy. You don't hear them move in the forest. And along with that, they possess a keen eyesight that their prey lacks. There are spiritual wolves as well that we're to be careful of that seek to devour unsuspecting Christians who have fallen asleep in their faith. 
The word gives us plenty of warnings about these wolves and their dangerous intentions for Christians and the church in general. Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, 15, that we're to beware of false prophets who come, in, come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Paul, in the closing of the book of Acts, was excited um, to share uh, with this new church. Even, in, even though he was headed for his execution, this was his second arrest, and, uh, and the emperor had had enough of him, so he ordered Paul to be executed for preaching the gospel. And he wrote to the church, these are some of his words, he said, and indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will not see my face no more. He was about ready to die and he knew it. He said, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Listen, I want to pause for just a minute. Paul didn't skip over the difficult things. He preached the whole gospel. He preached the whole counsel and word of God. Shame on pastors that skip over those difficult parts or those inconvenient uh, passages that are difficult. I, I, I accept that they're difficult. But we're never to skip anything. And you're not going to see us skipping over something that's difficult that needs to be heard and needs to be taught here in this church. He said, verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves, to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. The time is coming. The time is here. My friends, the wolves are already here. The question is, what are we doing to prepare ourselves to overcome them and remain faithful to our calling? Listen, if Jesus gave us strong warnings to be aware and ready, if the Holy Spirit cautions us to be prepared for what's coming down the road to our church and into our lives and that of our families, then we want to be ready and prepared for it, not to be caught off guard. Someone said, you have to be ready to prevent from having to get ready. To be ready is a statement of preparedness that already exists. To get ready is an incomplete intention, a lack of readiness. It's a wish or a dream. We've got to be ready. If it's one thing I've learned regarding the Christian walk, it's this. You are either pushing forward or being shoved backwards. 
I can tell you this, there is no neutral in our walk. There just isn't. You're either moving forward in your walk, you're either growing in your faith, or you're being pushed backwards. Whether you realize it or not is another thing. We can argue that. But I'm telling you the truth. You're either moving forward or going backwards. It's like kayaking on a river. Debbie and I like to kayak. But when, when you're on a river, you're either going forward or you're going backwards. There's no neutral. I can't set my paddle next to me and stay where I'm at on a river. It's just impossible. Paul, after warning the Philippian believers to look out for dangerous dogs that seek to tear you apart and that of the church, wrote in Philippians 3.12, he said this, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Hey, I'm not doing this perfectly, he says. I'm I'm human like you are. I fall occasionally too. But listen, not that I'm perfect here, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Paul says, I'm going to forget my past. You remember who Paul was? He was Saul in the beginning. He had arrested Christians, brought them uh, to to jail and, and, and helped find them guilty. Some were killed and executed because of his testimony. He says, yeah, I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm not going to focus on my past. And maybe somebody needs to hear that this morning. You know, we all have colorful pasts. You know, there's things in my life I'd like to go back and erase, uh, you know, undo. But if we focus on those things, we're never going to be able to move forward. And God wants us to move forward. Paul says he was straining like an athlete trying to win the race to win the prize for the upward calling that he'd been called to. He was straining to go forward, not go backwards. He says, therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. Well, what mind was Paul talking about? Of course, he's talking about having the mind of Christ, the mind of a victor, the mind of an overcomer. So let's talk tangibles here. What do we need to do to get prepared for when the wolves arrive at our doors, and they will. Well, first, he uses the metaphor of of an army. We prepare like an army. Number one, we know our objective and advance on the enemy. We don't wait for things to come to our, 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 inside our home. No, we're going to move out, and we're going to meet the enemy where they are. Let's continue in our scriptures now. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Listen, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. He called him a liar. And not just any liar, he called him the liar of liars. He was the king of liars. 
Look out for his carefully crafted words. He's convincing. We must know the truth and keep it as our objective in life. In fact, he was so convincing, he was able to get Eve in the garden. What did he do? He questioned God's word. Did he really say that? I don't think he did. Go ahead. How bad could it be? And then, of course, Eve taking it to Adam, and they both fell and listened to Satan. The Greek words for persuasive words are a description for the way a crafty lawyer uses words to make an argument. Now, I was a cop for 20 years, so I've been in the courtroom more than my fair share. And it's interesting how some of the attorneys, there were a lot of good attorneys on both sides, but every once in a while you'd get this attorney or two that would come in and you'd have to go against and you would make a, he'd ask me a question and I would make a statement and then he'd turn around and he said, so what you're saying is, and then he'd restate a couple of words. If you're not paying attention, you might miss that. And so when he, when he turned back around, I'd say, that's not what I said. Well, what is it you say? And I'd, say, I'd go back to my original statement. See, Satan will say things that sound almost like Scripture. In fact, sometimes he'll use Scripture. 90% of it, but he changes the word. So we need to know the authentic word of God so we don't get tripped up by, you know, a false statement. Be careful of these new terminologies that some churches are using and borrowing from false teachings and teachers. Phrases like, ah, oh, we have a new revelation. Yeah. Or I got a new, fresh word from God. He spoke to me personally, and now we're not going to do that part of Scripture. We're doing this because he told me to do it differently. Boy, you should hear brakes squealing right then. Wait a minute. Hold on for a second. If it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. That's a fact. God wrote his word. He put a period at the very end of Revelation. He said, don't, don't change this word. Leave it alone. I wrote it. It's, it's more than enough for what you need to get through this life. God said in his word that he's, got, he's written and given us everything we need for life and godliness. Man's nuances are a death trap for those who fall into them. Look out for many of these new and clever teachers who gather to themselves tens of thousands of unaware and immature believers who will fall for anything and stand on their words of cunning and crafty false teachers who are leading many astray, even genuine believers who are immature in their faith. You got to know the authentic word. This is why we need to advance in our knowledge and practice of true of the true word of God and, and push back against the enemy of our souls. This is why we help each other. This is why we have discipleship here at our church. It's a priority here. If you're new, you might be hearing this for the first time, but if you've been here more than a few weeks, you ought to know that word discipleship comes pretty regularly in all we do here. Once you've been discipled for yourself, once you know the truth, and you never know, you never get, like Paul says, we're always striving to move forward. But once you're at a level of maturity, it's time to turn around and help somebody else 
who's just prayed to receive Christ or new to the faith and say, hey, don't go that way. That, that guy, don't listen to that. Let's, let's look at what the Word of God has to say here. And we help one another. That's what discipleship is all about. Paul moves on to describe what advancing on the enemy looks like. Letter A, it looks like a combat unit. It looks like a combat unit. Verse 5, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. The terminology of the words chosen here are extremely important. That's why we study the word of God. We want to pull out every nugget as we go through the passages here. The Greek words for uh, order and steadfastness have a military connotation in the Greek to them. The Greek listener here would have, would have picked up on that immediately. A well-oiled combat unit immediately evokes order, orderliness from keeping your life free from entanglements of the world to the chain of command. Paul's talking about this. Paul, Paul calls us to be one in the spirit with Christ, to be part of this army that, that God's putting together, the, the people of God that he's putting together, to pursue an orderliness that um, evokes the picture of oneness and unity. You look at a, a military unit or a paramilitary unit, they'll have an orderliness about them. They work together as one. They receive orders from one. Our commander-in-chief is Jesus Christ, and that's what his word is told in us. We're going to go out and do this. We're going to go out and live it. We carry out our orders with precision and purpose. And the word steadfastness evokes the image of holding the positions that God has placed us in. We don't turn and run when the enemy starts attacking. We hold firm, and we have the backs of our brothers and sisters it's one of the, the most beautiful things I see about the church is that we're here for each other. And Debbie and I got to experience this recently and through the crisis that, that she went through. Man alive, the church just loved on us so much. And it's such a joy to love on others when they're in their time of crisis. We're to hold steadfast in our faith, not run or panic when something happens. We don't flinch when the bullets start flying. We hold firm. So A, it looks like a combat unit, and B, it looks like a troop movement, a troop movement. Verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Now, if you were ever in a military or, or paramilitary unit, uh, you'd understand that you spend a lot of time on your feet walking from one place to another, um, from one location to a, another, depending on where your commander sends you. Back in Colossians 1.10, Paul evokes the soldier on the move when he writes that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Paul used this verbiage of a soldier on the move some 10 times just in his letter to the Ephesians. When God tells us to move, the only answer is, yes, Lord. 
The life of a believer is always moving forward, never retreating. We want to remain in step with God, and we do that by reading his word and walking it out daily. Man, don't, don't put your paddles in, in, your, in your canoe and stop paddling on the river of life. We're always moving forward. We're always taking more ground and new ground. And in so doing, we discover both joy as well as purpose for living our lives. I want to know why I'm alive. I don't want to get to heaven to find out. That's too late to do anything about it. What has God called you to do in this life? Because he's called you to do something. You know, you have people that you can reach that I can't. I don't even know them. You live in neighborhoods I don't live in. So you reach your people. God's called you to take the gospel to these people, to show them the love of Christ. So letter A, it looks like a combat unit. And letter B, it looks like a troop movement. We're always on the move, following the Lord. Now Paul switches metaphors here. He does it three times. Here's metaphor number, number two. He begins to talk about something of, grow, of growth, spiritual growth. Let her see it looks like a healthy tree, one that's, verse 7, rooted. That word is, is powerful, rooted. Believers are not to be like tumbleweeds. Now, the first house I built, I lived out on the edge of the city, and I had a big, long fence, and it just went into you know, probably thousands of acres. And when the wind would blow, it would break off these, these tumbleweeds, you know, these bushes that were all dried out, and they would become tumbleweeds. Man, some of those things were this big around. They were huge. And the wind just, you could see them going across the field out there, back and forth and back and forth. James talks about not being like that. Uh, and Paul certainly does as well. We don't want to be tumbleweeds that are blown to and fro uh, or randomly blown around by false doctrines. No, believers are to be rooted deeply in the soil of God's truth. The deeper your roots go, the deeper the roots of a tree go, the stronger the tree is. Somebody posted something on Facebook a while back of this gigantic tree that had been blown over by this most recent hurricane, and all you saw were roots up in the air now because they'd all been pulled out. But what I noticed is the roots, while they went out horizontal, they didn't go vertical. Well, how interesting. Looked like maybe the deepest root might have been two feet. And this tree looked like it was 30 feet tall. And the wind blew and it just ripped them right out of the ground. Our roots need to go deep so that when the storms of life come, we're rooted in God's word and his will for our lives. Letter D, it looks like a strong building. He goes on with this metaphor. Continuing in verse 7. It's rooted and built up in him. It's built up. When we receive God's grace and mercy through his son's uh, death on the cross, we just celebrated it here. We just remembered it. We just took a few minutes to, to pause and remember that our, our, our salvation wasn't free. It cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. We remembered what it cost us the sacrificial death on the cross. We were provided the foundation of our faith. That's the beginning of our faith, the, the very footing of our, ba of our faith. If you've ever built a house, 
uh, then you know that construction begins with the pouring of the foundation upon which everything else is going to be built upon. Everything else is established. That's why it's critical to have a good foundation, a strong foundation, because the house is going to sit on this foundation. After receiving Jesus' forgiveness and grace, the next step is for the Holy Spirit then to come into your life and my life and build on that foundation which we receive from Christ. And while it is the Spirit who builds, we play a role in the efficiency and speed of the construction. We can work along with him or we can get in the way of his progress and hamper his work. How do we work with him? Well, we can choose to read our Bibles daily. We can choose to read our, our Bibles weekly or monthly. How, how quickly do you want to put roots down that are, that are firm? It's really up to us. How soon do you want to experience a deeper relationship with your heavenly Father? Man, decide that you're going to be in the Word. Decide that you're going to spend time in prayer. Decide that you're going to start walking these things out that you read in your Bibles. I would encourage all of us to work with the Spirit so we don't hamper His work in our lives. We've seen the, that uh, advancing on the enemy looks like a healthy tree here, a strong building. Now letter E, we see it looks like a wise teacher, a wise teacher. Continuing in verse 7, he says, And established in the faith as you have been taught. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.